Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Sword and the Trowel today. Thank you to our fan members, that is our Founders Alliance members who support us on a monthly basis, yeah. help us to do all this stuff, get all uh, good access to various content. You're still doing the Pastoral Epistles with Pastor Tom, right? Yeah, and uh, man, we're so grateful for the folks that support us regularly. It's been a, a real uh, help in these last several months, especially as we've tried to make more of our resources available. And we got some things in the pipeline that I'm excited about as well. So if you're not familiar with the Founders Alliance membership, you can do that individually or you can join as a church. We encourage you to go to founders.org and check that out. And if the Lord enables you to help us out financially, please come and do so. And while you're there at founders.org, check out the Southeast Founders Regional Conference coming up December 5th through the 7th, right down here in Cape Coral, Florida. The Law and the Gospel, we got you preaching. And you. And me preaching. And, and Jeff Johnson. Jeff Johnson preaching. From Conway, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He has founded a seminary there. Nice. And he's going to come here and preach two messages. And then who's the, who's the fourth guy? Dr. Tom Nettles. Nettles, that's right. Tom Nettles. Uh, yes, senior professor at um, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah, it's going to be a great conference on an incredibly important subject. I mean, this I don't know that we could do anything that would be more timely mm-hmm. than law and gospel. And we've been hitting this from different angles in some of our conferences over the last year or two. And with a lot of things we've been talking about here and things we've been writing about. But it is huge. You, I'm really excited about your topic. You're going to be dealing with law and gospel in parenting. Parenting. Now, you probably have had a little experience in parenting. you got six kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, you've applied that law and gospel in your parenting. Yep. Yep. So I'm looking forward to delivering that message. And uh, a lot of good messages are going to be coming at that conference. And we're going to be uh, releasing our film, By What Standards, the premiere of the Founders film, By What Standards. So if you want to see it first, got to get down here to Cape Coral. We want you to come down. Uh, I think we're showing that December 6th, I think. I believe uh, so, maybe the, the Friday night. Friday night. Yeah, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Friday night we're going to shut everything down and just uh, we'll have uh, special guests here that night. It's going to be a fun night, and then we'll have a Q&A afterwards. So Tom Nettles will be here. You and I will be here. Um, David Shannon will be here, who's been kind of the one putting the things together for mm-hmm. us and done most of the filming. And it's going to be fun. So you'll get a chance to ask any questions. Uh, and plus – Man, it's Southwest Florida in December. Yep. Why wouldn't you want to be here it's good. for that? So go register. I uh, the, We have a lot of registrations coming in. We're checking today. And there is limited space, so we don't want anybody to get shut out because you wanted to come and waited too long. So go check out founders.org, the Synodoc. Uh, you can get information on that there. The Southeast Founders Conference, you can get information on that as well. And we're going to do five free registrations, Yes. Yes, to, I forgot about that. To who? Who are we giving it to? Let's give them to Bob and Joe and Jill and Jane. No, no, no. And what do you got to do? We're serious. We're giving out five <laughs> free registrations right now to the first five people to do what? They must tag Founders Ministries at Founders Men on Twitter and tweet out a link to the Southeast Founders Conference, which oh, you can yeah. find on the founders.org website. So tag Founders Men at Founders Men on mm-hmm. Twitter. And put the link up for the Southeast Founders Conference. And, and if you say something nice like, man, this is the greatest conference in the universe, right. then uh, you might get moved to the top of the it's gotta list. It's got to be positive. <laughs> it's got to be something positive. <laughs> That's right. All right. So in the first segment here, we want to talk about revival. Yeah, revival. We talk a lot about things that are going on in the culture today. 
And uh, we often, I, I, you know, Ross Douthat wrote a book called Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics. Ross Douthat, uh, New York Times columnist, Catholic, and tracks, I remember from like the 1960s, all of the cultural realities. We can see everything kind of falling apart. We talk about this a lot. Um, we're not trying to be, you know, I don't know, crazy people pull, setting our hair on fire and running down the street. Or you, pants. You do that. <laughs> or pants. You're going to hear more about that in a moment. Um, but, yes, there's there's no doubt that there's a downgrade going on all around us in American culture. And our hope at this point is revival. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And by revival, we don't mean revivalism, which uh, typically is what's meant today in the broad evangelical world. Um, you know, you, you see signs up on the side of the road, revival next week or come to our revival. We're not talking about a series of meetings like that. We're talking about something that comes down from heaven. This is Jonathan Edwards' understanding mm-hmm. of revival, that it is that which God does. It's the normal work of God done in a deeper, more compressed way, fast. Yeah. So it's not anything unusual. It's, it's, it's the regular biblical Christianity that happens deeply and quickly. And man, well, there are lots of, of good books on revival. Edwards, of course, I mean, I know you did some of your work in Edwards when mm-hmm. you were doing your PhD, and Edwards' revival writings are outstanding. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the stories I remember in his narratives of surprising conversions is about Phoebe Bartlett. Did you ever read about her? Mm-hmm. A little four-year-old girl mm-hmm. converted as soundly as she could be. And the editor of Edwards' works said this 50 years later, she's still a faithful Christian. So when, when God comes in power like that, Things happen fast, and Lloyd-Jones put it like this in his lectures on revival that's now published in a book, that uh, God can change everything in a day, yeah. in a day, more in a day than we can do in years. Yep. When I'm trying to explain revival, it's helpful to compare and contrast it with Reformation. The two go together. So when I'm thinking Reformation, um, the idea is you're seeing the church reformed, you're working diligently you kind of got that Nehemiah idea. Here you are building and fighting and laboring each day. You're seeing structures change. You're seeing people in positions of authority, powers change, and mm-hmm. be be moved back to a um, um, move back to a position that's in greater alignment with God's word. And the emphasis seems to be on what we can do to labor for reformation, revival is uh emphasizes our dependency upon the spirit of god yeah. that while we're yes we and we like both of these ideas i'm not saying you choose one or the other but revival says we're going to stand and preach the word of god we're going to teach the word of god we're going to pray and we're going to ask the spirit to pour out his great blessings upon us that he mm-hmm. would empower his word that he would use his word and if he does, uh, then we will be victorious. And if he doesn't, then we're absolutely undone. Yeah, and, and so that's a key point, I think. Uh, sometimes our understanding of revival, the Edwardsian view, gets mischaracterized. I actually had a professor one time who, who did this. I took a seminar on revivals and uh, the history of revivals. And he had in his mind the Edwardsian view of you just kind of sit back and hope God does something. And when he does, then you write about it because mm-hmm. you don't do anything in preparation or you don't do anything uh, to to seek the Lord for revival. And yet what it is we're called upon to do is the very normal things that he calls us to do day in and day out. We're to preach, we're to pray, we're to fast, right. we are to evangelize, you know, all of those things, but with a sense of intensity and desperation that, oftentimes doesn't characterize it. Yeah, and boy, the reason we need to think about this now is because of, while there's all this uh, um, 
breaking down of Christianity, Christian principle, Christian culture in the world around us, there's also the immense blessings and resources that the church has now, like a podcast. Mm-hmm. Here you are. You can do right. it. You can do this podcast and send out truth far and wide, and you can hold conferences and send out truth and far and wide. You can publish books, and all of a sudden we think, you know what? If we just publish this book, <laughs> if we just have this conference, if we just drop this particular thing on social media, then we can see growth. Then we can see things change. And yeah. you, how tempted we are to think that we can manufacture what needs to be done, that yeah. we can somehow do this uh, on our own. Edwards talks about identifying when revival is really at work. And he, he gives five indicators. Listen to what he says. Uh, first, when the work is such as to raise the esteem of professed converts for Jesus and seems to establish their minds in the truth of the gospel testimony to him as the Son of God and the Savior of men. So when you find in your church, in your Christian community, esteem for Christ rising up well then you know you're you've really you're starting to see the work of the spirit uh, secondly when the spirit that is at work operates against the interests of satan's kingdom which lies in encouraging and establishing sin you know if you start to see um, the strongholds of sin in a given area uh, worked down well here you go yeah we're actually getting we're seeing revival uh, third when this spirit operates to bring about a greater regard to the scriptures and establishes them more in their truth and divine origin. Uh, do people love the Bible? Not only read the Bible, not only meditate on the Bible, but they have regard for the Word of God as they're thinking about their lives. Uh, fourthly, when that spirit operates as a spirit of truth, leading persons to the truth and convincing them of those things that are true. And then lastly, number five, when the, that spirit operates as a spirit of love to God and man. Do you yeah. have genuine love? To God, they have genuine love to man. Well, these are some indicators because you know people always say we're going to have a revival. You mentioned throw up a tent. I do love the tent idea. I think it's still we you can have it. There's nothing wrong with a tent. You, you can know? have it. We always have a tent. We wouldn't want a tent in Southwest Florida, we, except maybe three months out of the year. In the, in the winter, it would be nice. Um, but no, when when you see the spirit at work in these ways, breaking down the strongholds of the enemy's kingdom. Uh, establishing regard for Christ and regard for the word and love to God and love to man, that's when you're seeing it. And those are not unusual things for the spirit. That's the spirit's normal work. It's just coming fast and deep and uh, spreading widely. One of the things that I think, you know, I've heard this said, and I know it's been said historically, but I can't remember who, that, you know, God, God gives us what we're willing to live with. And sometimes I think that we are just satisfied to kind of go at a low ebb. And it takes things getting to bad points before we realize just how desperate our situation is. Mm-hmm. The reality is I'm always desperate for God. I'm always dependent upon God. I just don't sense it because he's so good so often in the things he gives me. Right. But my next breath is dependent upon God. But whenever we start seeing the crazy things happening in culture, like we have now being celebrated, the, the absolute wickedness being celebrated, and we see things coming into the church, and we see the, the watchman on the wall of the church kind of laying down and just letting stuff flood in so that the church is increasingly becoming like the world. Well, those things are designed by God to be wake-up calls to mm-hmm. us to make us aware. And yet the reality is, I wonder, you know, I wonder how much our churches are praying desperately for revival. I mean, where's mm-hmm. the fasting? Mm-hmm. Where, where's this sense of gathering? Today, if it's not convenient, we're not going to do it. And you, a lot of churches don't even have 
stated prayer meetings anymore. And a lot of the prayer meetings in the churches that have them still are really, you know, more like organ recitals, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> if it's not convenient, I, want, I wouldn't want people to think that we are against um, practical wisdom and short spurts and videos right. on the Internet That's or right. uh, the dozens and dozens of articles that you can find online that are like five points about parenting, you know, four points about preaching, whatever it may be. But just note that that is the day and age in which we live. There are tons of ministries, tons of people that are producing that kind of thing, and that's good. So take that wisdom and be practical and uh, take the the tips that are given and work diligently for the Lord to bring about reformation. But as we do it, remember that we are entirely shut up to the Spirit of God Amen. if we're going to see any advance at all of the kingdom of Christ in yeah. this world. And I think that that is a key point. One thing that's become crystal clear to me over the last couple of years I've tried to get my mind around what's going on in the culture and in the church is that our only hope is revival. I don't think we're getting out of this in the West apart from a sovereign outpouring of God's spirit like we have seen historically, but we haven't seen in this country in more than 100 years. We've we've seen him do some things locally and and in uh, ways that haven't lasted very long, but I'm I'm talking about what he's done like in the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. And if that doesn't happen, then I don't know what our culture will be like in a few years. So pray for revival. Speaking of revival, when we come back, we're going to be talking about a book called Pentecost Today, published by Founders Press, written by Ian Murray, The Biblical Basis for Understanding the Bible. I want to invite you to the upcoming Southeast Founders Conference that will be held in Cape Coral, Florida, December the 5th through the 7th. The theme of the conference is the law and the gospel, which is a vitally important issue in our day. Dr. Tom Nettles will be our keynote speaker. He'll be joined by Jeff Johnson, who's a pastor in Conway, Arkansas, as well as Jared Longshore and myself. In addition to the regular conference teaching, uh, we're going to have two special events at this year's conference, and I really want to encourage you to come and be a part of these events. We're going to have an open warehouse where you'll get a chance to tour through the Founders facilities and see kind of how we do things, including the facilities here in the Founders studio. And then we're also going to have the premier showing of the Founders Synodoc by what standard? God's world, God's rules. Would love for you to come and be a part of it. Space is limited. You can get more information at founders.org. Let me encourage you to go there and register today. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. In this segment, we want to talk to you about this book written by Ian Murray, Pentecost Today, The Biblical Basis for Understanding Revival. Uh, Ian Murray is one of my favorite authors. He's just wonderful in his biographies. He's wonderful in his understanding of history. And he brings that together with his keen theological, biblical insights to teach us in this book what we should be looking for in revival. And it's obviously not what a lot of people tell us we should be looking for in revival. So he deals with the revivalistic type of uh, understandings that came down to us from Charles Finney and many of his followers in the, uh, really, it was kind of the closing uh, era of the Second Great Awakening. Most people associate Finney with the Second Great Awakening, but he was a latecomer to that great work of God's Spirit. And Finney uh, was famous for just saying the right use of the right means can bring about revival. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing special to this. You just figure out, 
you know, what God tells you to do, you do it. And then when you do it the right way, you'll have revival. Well, that's not at all what Ian Murray understands. He has the Edwardsian view that this is what God does. And so he sets before us from the scriptures what God did at Pentecost, what God does in other times of reviving his church, what he's done historically, and then encourages us to pursue that and to look for what happens when revival comes. Because a lot of people say, oh, man, we had great revival here. Oh, yeah? Well, has the ministry changed at all? Has there been a more serious approach to the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Is there a, more, uh, a greater love and, and joy in the, among the people of God? Has your worship been affected at all, or is your worship still just kind of, you know, hum-ho, right. going about the, the normal things without a sense of the, the felt presence of God? So this is a great book. You can, you can get it at founders.org at a deep discount, and we encourage you to get it. Anything else you want to add to that, Jerry? Yeah. Well, first of all, the deep discount is only for like a week. So Deep discount for a week. If you're watching this or listening to this, make sure you grab it now. Founders.org. I don't want you to miss the deep discount. Um, but it seems like a fitting book, too, for our times. I'm just going to read some of the chapter headings. So it begins with, how do we understand revival? And so he walks through, um, you know, the different views uh, when people consider revival and the consequences of those views. He gets into Charles Finney in chapter 2, talking about the relationship between our responsibility and God's sovereignty mm-hmm. when it comes to revival, which is a question that immediately comes up. Well, if, if, it's, if it's God who has to pour out his spirit, then what are we supposed to do? Just sit back and do nothing? Well, no, we're right. supposed to pray for it. Well, if we pray for it, can we manufacture it? Well, no, you can't do that either. <laughs> but you are responsible to pray for it and to seek it. Um, the Holy Spirit in preaching in chapter 4. Chapter 5, the interpretation of experience. So mm. when revival comes and you start to have these different manifestations, what do you? how do you deal with the, the affections, as Edwards would call it? Um, emotions might be a fine word. Edwards distinguishes between emotions and affections. He uses Edwards a lot in that section, too, for what is a sign, what is not necessarily a sign. Yeah, and his religious affections. Uh, chapter 6, hindering revival, evangelical fanaticism. And so he walks through some of the dangers there and then talks about six things revival will bring in chapter 7. So it's, this is going to be a book uh, packed full of wisdom. The fanaticism thing really goes on. Um, it kind of goes on in circles that you know we see in American evangelicalism now. But uh, I remember <laughs> I, I was studying at uh, Southern Seminary. Michael Haken was my prof, and we were studying, I think, Puritan and evangelical spirituality. And he started to talk about James Davenport. Um, James Davenport is, uh, he was an American clergyman during the first great awakening. And this, you know, what was interesting is the spirit of God's working and you got all these kind of manifestations of things. It it would talk about when Jonathan Edwards was preaching, sometimes he'd be preaching in a home and the screams would be so loud. Edwards couldn't finish. Now (laughs) Edwards, you know, you're not talking about some really crazy, you know, preacher here. Edwards, you know, teach plainly. And yet you had people really being affected by the Mm. word of God. Well, and one of these, James Davenport um, started going around and was started to get on other clergymen about their uh, immorality and started to preach against um, uh, having all this costly, expensive clothing. And so there was a fire, and he was telling people to burn their books, and he was telling people to burn their clothes, and all of a sudden James Davenport takes <laughs> off his pants and throws them in the fire. I said, what in the world is going on? So some woman, like, told him, I got his pants and said, you know, get a hold of yourself. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and it, he like snapped out of it and was yeah. able to get it back under control. And I think it was, I think it was Whitfield that um, was the man involved in this, not Whitfield, but another man ha- had a woman that would travel around with him during these revival times. And she was supposedly a prophetess and he 
the woman stayed in his house was not his wife and uh, would travel with him. Well, of course, everybody's saying something's going on here. And Whitfield goes to say, I've got to get this guy under control. I'm trying to sit here and, you know, go mm-hmm. on these preaching excursions. And this guy's associated with him. And he's all taking this woman around with him. And so Whitfield finds him, goes into his house and says, sir, please, you know, get tell this woman to get out of your house. And he said, I will not you get out of my house. <laughs> George Whitfield. I said, my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, boy, he had other stories. There's other ones that, I won't, that I'll even spare you now, but. They, it was fascinating to see how it was messy back then. Oh, absolutely. You know, and yet the Spirit of God's really at work in many ways yeah. along with these other things. And that's what, I mean, Ian Murray gets that. <clears throat> Sometimes we have romanticized views of revival. You know, oh, man, if revival would come, everything would be great. You know what, man? If revival comes, you and I are going to be busier than we've ever been in our lives. And there are going to be all kinds of uh, difficult situations <clears throat> and lots of messy situations will arise too. I, I remember reading the second great awakening and sometimes they'd have these tent meetings because people would travel because they didn't have churches close to them. So they'd go for these communion services that would be scheduled out and they'd get there and God's spirit would fall and they just wouldn't leave. That's where the camp meetings came from. But they said sometimes as the spirit of God did fall, people would be preaching, cutting off trees on stumps. So they would stand up on the, tree stumps to preach to be heard and seen better which is where stumping comes Mm -hmm. from and it would look like a battlefield because people would just fall over under a sense of the the presence of God and the weight of their sin and their need of grace and of course that's been co-opted today by being slain in the spirit and all these other things have come in and they've been held up as this is what Mm -hmm. is revival and Murray shows no those are incidental to revival those aren't proofs of revival but they did happen have happened, could happen again when revival comes. And so we don't need to be misled by that, but we do need to see very clearly what is our desperate need. Man, and this book is great for that. Yeah. So um, founders.org, Pentecost today. Deep discount written one by week. Ian Murray. So go grab that now. When we come back, uh, we're going to be considering God's commands to us, uh, what it means to contribute to the needs of the saints. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. It's not even new to Southern Baptists because Satan does this. He is constantly telling you you should be guilty when you're forgiven. He is constantly asking you to live with regrets when the Father has taken all the sins of the world. Welcome back to this segment of The Sword of the Trial, and we want to talk to you about a command that is found in the New Testament. This was found in Romans 12, 13. Let me read the whole verse. We're just going to focus on one part of the verse, though. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. So, Jared, you know what that means? Give me your money. Give me give you my money. <laughs> but it does mean, obviously, that we are to care about one another and that we are to show the kind of love for one another where, as Jesus put it, we love others as we love ourselves. And so if I see my brother in need, I can't just be indifferent to that because we're made members of one another. Yeah, that's a very practical command. Uh, We see it in the book of Acts, right, right at the outset. They shared all things in common. Um, We don't claim that this means you need to buy into some socialist government theory it's not coerced Uh, this is not coerced but these are christians that are saying boy god has blessed me and i see my brother in need and uh who hasn't uh, over the course of a life been in a time in life where you really do have significant needs yeah and you have christians come and say hey here you go i'm just going to give this this is an act of grace I've, i've been on the receiving end of that uh so often in 
boy, the, um, the, the tangibility of grace in that moment. You think, you know, I didn't have <laughs> what I needed. And here's some person came in and said, no, I'm not lending this to you. I'm not saying here, you know, I'm not saying you can borrow this for a while and give it back. I'm just giving this to you. I'm contributing mm-hmm. to the need that you have. And the grace of God is made uh, very practical in those moments. Yeah, and it, uh, it is the way Christians are to live. And, and when we're thinking right, we do live that way because our lives are grace. What do we have that we haven't received? And so if that's true, why do we live as if we have somehow deserved what we have? And uh, to understand what the Lord has done for us in Christ, how though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, that we might, through his poverty, be made rich. And if that's true, it ought to affect the way we think about our finances and our stuff. I think what stumbles a lot of Christians is that idea of need. You know, what does someone really need? And in our culture today, uh, people talk about, well, I need a cell phone, you know, I need air conditioning, I need a new car. You know, our, our ideas of need sometimes can cloud how we best can help people. And sometimes what brothers really need is not stuff, right? it's not money. What they really need is to be helped to think differently about their circumstances so that they follow the prescriptions the Bible's given to them about their station in life and their abilities and gifts and opportunities and begin to make the most of it. So to contribute to the needs of the saints, you know, those who are in need, doesn't just mean finances or whatever. We got folks in our church, you know, like you've been blessed so much by people who get this and who just live openly open-handedly with their things. I mean, there are people in our church that have just said, we will not let anybody we know go hungry. You know, as long as we have food in our cupboard and our refrigerator, mm-hmm. anybody that we know of will have food to eat because we, our table is open. Mm-hmm. It's that type of attitude that we ought to have because that's the way God has dealt with us in grace. We didn't have to earn it. We don't buy it. We don't deserve it. But we also genuinely want to meet real needs. And right. so counsel can be incredibly helpful with people who seem to be almost perpetually stuck, not due to circumstances beyond their control, but due to maybe a way of thinking or due to a, a lack of taking seriously their responsibility. Right. And uh, when you when you clarify that and put it in that light, it helps uh, with the temptation to think, well, uh, the only people who are really able to contribute to the needs of the saints are the wealthy Christians, yeah. right? Those those yeah. who have, I mean, you sit back and go, well, I don't have anything to give. Well, no, you really do have something to give. I mean, you can be living in a one-bedroom apartment, but if there's That's right. there's somebody else, if, say, you're a Christian uh, female and there's another sister in Christ and she needs somewhere to stay, well, here it is. You know, we'll, fi- we'll figure this out. Yeah. Or, uh, I've only got one bowl of pasta right here, but we'll split we'll it in split half. It, yeah. We'll find there's ways that you can contribute, even if you're in a position where you feel like you don't have a lot to contribute. There's something, prayer, encouragement, counsel, comfort, yeah. whatever that might be. And then there's an exhortation here. I think practically young men would probably be fitting for this, but it could be anybody. Is If I'm going to contribute to the needs of the saints, well, then I need to be diligent in trying to get something to contribute to them. Absolutely. Um, and whatever that might be, and not just thinking monetarily, but if it's wisdom, well, God, give me wisdom, so I would have that to contribute. If, you know, it would be, Or it could be some kind of a financial reality. Say I really want to go work hard, and one of the reasons I'm working diligently is not only to provide for myself, but to be in a position where I can contribute to the needs of others. That can put a whole new spin on the way that you are going about your work day. Yeah. You're thinking, I'm out here, you know, planting this 
uh, crop so that I can reap and then have enough to give to others. Yeah. And that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4. You know, those who steal should steal no more, but rather work with your hands so that you'll have enough to give to others, yeah. to share with others. So, yeah, this is this passage, keep it in balance with everything else the Scripture says, that one that doesn't work doesn't eat. Uh, so there's not a, a license to laziness here, but it is a recognition that our lives really aren't our own. Everything we have has been given to us by God's grace, and so we ought to be good stewards. And part of that stewardship involves contributing to the needs of the saints. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Uh, let me remind you, we're going to have the Southeast Regional Founders Conference coming up December 5th through the 7th. Go to founders.org. You can register for that conference there. We would love to have you join us then.